there was a cool spring breeze, and the sound of leaves moving up in the trees when I opened the door of my friend's car and stepped out in front of a blue two-story house with a wraparound porch and Tibetan prayer flags like a rainbow between each column. I exited the car in the same way that I entered, without expectations, but aware of a nodding sense of fear in the pit of my stomach. Even though every Sunday my roommate offered to take me to his place of grounding, he called it, where he could allow all of the noise to sort of settle, I declined many weeks until that day, when it felt as if in a spur of almost inner and outward intervention, the due dates, the assignments, all of the maintaining the relationship with the girlfriend and all of the co-workers and two jobs, attending class, cooking food for yourself, grocery shopping, getting enough gas in the car, all of the assignments and the tasks seemed to become too much. And my friend reached out again to offer me his hand, figuratively, and take me and drive me to the Shambhalan Meditation Center in Asheville, North Carolina, where I was living at the time. Now, my previous idea around meditation was that it happened on some sort of mountain or in a monastery. It was for somebody else and was connected to a spiritual purpose which I neither understood nor really had any interest in. I wasn't aware that people were sitting cross-legged on the floor in a position that looked like a pretzel in order to focus better, to clear their minds, to allow a sense of relief to wash over them and the day to be cleared. And after a few invitations, albeit more than necessary, when I stepped into the front door of that Shambhalan center, I was greeted with a smile from a man in a collared shirt and a sense as if I didn't belong there, like I didn't really fit. Yet a part of me pretended, put on the act, the hellos were brief. It was clear that everybody was there for one purpose, and that purpose was behind a sliding glass door in which the silent meditation room, with four rows of pillows and some upright chairs in the back, all faced a single pillow on a pedestal and a giant gong about two feet wide maybe some singing bowls, and the prevailing color of red and gold inside of this room. I was instructed to take off my shoes, because apparently this was not a place to allow the outside world in. Any particle that you brought was not welcome, nor any story or voice or sound 
from the previous day, or it was clearly a sacred place that they were trying to create a sense of space, and I just pretended to understand it all. When I sat down on a cushion, I tried to sit next to my friend as if I had sat before on a meditation cushion. Though I imagined all of the movies and TV shows and animated specials I saw where some bald man would sit in the lotus position in a red robe and cover himself and maybe do some shaking or humming or low movement, low and slow movement. Yet a strange thing happened that day, which echoed what we talked about in the last episode of A Quiet Voice. When I stepped into the Shambhalan center, I wasn't aware that I was out of rhythm. Life was happening to me. I wasn't participating. I didn't really realize how uncomfortable I had become. But it wasn't that I was going to rid myself of all of these disturbances as much as detect an aspect of myself and life that I never could have expected. I can't really describe what brought me into that meditation center when I was 20 years old. It just seemed as if that was the path. And when you don't have a path that you're blazing for yourself, you become the story of other people. And I was brought there by, by the good people that were around me at that time, who probably saw me as a person who was doing the best they can, but just was a losing a bit of the lived experience of life within all of the tasks and assignments and things that we must do. See, when I sat down on that meditation cushion next to my friend and a bunch of other strangers in a house I'd never been, sure, it felt like I was in all of the representations of what cults are, and here I am about to become, you know, ritualized and integrated into a cult. You just have a general apprehension about people that meet in secret houses and it wasn't a church, it wasn't a place of, of, of in which you had a central figure like the crucifixion of Jesus or a big Buddha or anything. It was just a bunch of people sitting in a room. Yet this terrified me more <laughs> than the tall, high, vaulted ceilings of cathedrals and the bloody Christ and crucifixions or all of the statues of the Madonna that you see, which seemed to evoke a sense of fearful reverence. Those were not there. Instead, I was sitting on this cushion, pretending that I knew what I was doing. My friend had told me that the meditation was only going to be 15 minutes, and then they would do a little talk or a little social kind of outing, which is fine. I can sit for 15 minutes. I sit in class for an hour and a half for 50 minutes, so sure, I can sit for 15 minutes. And so I sit. There's no speaking. There's a gong to kind of begin a little procedure that feels all very unfamiliar to me, and 
my head is sort of spinning in silence as I start to begin to feel as if I don't belong or that I don't really understand what the ritual is. But that only lasts a few seconds or what feels like a few seconds. The one little piece of information that my friend had given to me to think about how to meditate is to try not to think about anything. To try not to think about anything. You're always thinking about something, right? You're always, even the thinking about not thinking is a thought itself, right? And when I wasn't thinking about not thinking, I started to feel a tension within my lower back. Turns out that sitting in a cross-legged position on a four-inch pillow with a bunch of strangers around you is not an intrinsically comfortable posture. It takes practice, but here I was too, too big for myself to go stand up in the middle of the room and sit on an upright chair where maybe I'd have some more comfort. Here I was, just I needed to pretend that I wasn't an outsider. I needed to pretend that I had been and done this before. So I sat there, determined, like a statue, beginning to crack in my lower back, <laughs> feeling pain in my kidneys, and in my knees, and trickling up my spine and into my neck. You shift back and forth to kind of limber up your spine, but it just doesn't seem to work. It just seems like, how could anyone sit like this for any length of time, much less 15 minutes suddenly? And so then you start thinking, well, what is 15 minutes really like? And how long do I need to be sitting here? You just start anticipating the next gong. And then, okay, you think, all right, maybe I'm, I'm not doing this not thinking thing too well. So maybe you take a deep breath because that feels natural. And I did that. Start to feel the stillness of the room. It's as if you... It's as if a ray of sunshine was shining into the room, though my eyes were closed. I felt as if a piece... I felt like a piece of dust suspended in a ray of light, where I was something very small in this room, which, though it hadn't changed in size, with my eyes closed, it felt immense. All the people within me, very distant yet near. I could hear the breathing or maybe a cough every now and then, and that would just shake me back into the body, and then the kidney pains again. Start feeling as if you're hunching over the weight of your own head. Too much to bear, <laughs> really. It was just a cycle between restlessness and then peace, restlessness and then peace, restlessness, peace, back and forth, back and forth, pain, comfort, suspension, pain, comfort, suspension, never really one place for too long. And then the gong came, which was a warning gong, something in that he had mentioned before that they were going to ring a gong maybe when you had five or so minutes or whatever period of time left and that was to shake you back into being and this was comforting oh then the sound of the gong just washing over you like 
like wet vibrations just suddenly those pains didn't feel so bad because they were going to be temporary and okay i was going to be back in the car and playing video games in a few minutes but then it didn't come again there wasn't a closing gong maybe i'd i'd open my eyes a little bit maybe just peek a little bit underneath my lids it wasn't cheating if i didn't open my lids i could just peer between my eyelashes then back into breathing back into relaxation okay well if i can't if i can't beat him join him if i can't wait if i can't wait for the next gong then i'll just try and be as comfortable as possible until the next part and i remember even thinking that these 15 minutes were seemingly very strange feel felt strange and then the, before i knew it really though you slip back into another dust beam you slip into the presence of the room you slip away from your pain or you settle in your pain settle in the feeling of your kidneys feeling tight and then your lower back being pressed against your spine and the weight of your head moving you back towards your shoulders you breathe in through your lungs once more to kind of just settle your posture again each time finding a little bit of a deeper sense of comfort at one point i remember feeling that i liked this i liked this i liked this feeling or i liked the feeling when i would forget that my body was on fire that my knees ached and all i wanted to do was stretch out but my pride was getting in the way and i couldn't make myself comfortable i needed to feel all of this pain i needed to force myself to be comfortable <laughs> force yourself to be comfortable <laughs> then the final gong and a deep breath from everybody my friend looking at me and rising up to leave there might have been a call for a donation though it wasn't verbal it was sort of just implied that oh well you can leave some money at the door and i don't know that i did or not that's not really important but what was shocking to me is when i walked outside it was dark and entered in the late afternoon and here i was leaving and the shadows were gone there was just a dusk kind of feeling the gray had settled in the sky and the sun was going to be gone any minute darkness was right around the corner having not taken our cell phones into the meditation center when i powered it back on inside the car i realized that it had been an hour it hadn't just been 15 minutes all of that time within feeling like a dust particle floating versus a pain in my back maybe i convinced myself it was 15 minutes but it had been an hour an hour of sitting and as we drove back to the apartment i was very quiet if i recall how did you like it he asked well it was interesting i was it was nice it's all i could really say but in my head i just kind of couldn't get over the sense that 
that's not what time is supposed to feel like. That's not my understanding of an hour. It hadn't been, it felt shorter than 60 minutes. It was as if I just blacked out for some period. I couldn't possibly have had all of those feelings and emotions in a 60-minute period. I just sat down. I had all these sensations, which felt as if they were occurring in the first 10 or 15 minutes, which is what I thought. And then, boom, nothing. And then the end. I realized that there were all these gaps inside of my memory where I couldn't really remember what each sensation was. What I found was time outside of time, the felt experience of not living in linear time, but fading into a place of consciousness, which all of us can do, but few of us ever try. This was one of the early little trickles of this experience which entered into my life when I was 20 at that meditation center. I never forgot it because after that point, part of me always knew that that was where I was trying to return to. name that echoes outside of just Ireland, that brings many people curious into the world of Irish folklore is Cúchulainn. And Cúchulainn is this demigod warrior hero, much like Achilles. In one particular age, towards the end of his life, he pisses off the wrong person. He kills this clan leader. His name is something like Kuroi Macdare or something. And this guy, when he dies, of course, instigates a, 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 a vengeful, a vengeful you know, feeling from the son, whose name is Lugid or something. Lugid. I'm not saying any of these names right. And so Lugan makes three magical spears to go after Kukulin. And he also joins with Queen Maeve, who's the warrior princess, the warrior queen, who unified the west part of Ireland under all of the tribes under her. So Lugid and, and Maeve go after Cúchulainn, sort of feeling like, okay, this guy is, you know, he's, he's caused too much trouble. It's, it's time for him to be put down, you know. But it was very, very difficult to find one particular soldier or warrior to go up against Kukulin, which is why you needed to have a union of multiple different clans to do the job. And with these three magical spears, Lugid kill, kills Kukulin's charioteer, tosses the spear, penetrates him, you know, takes him right off of his steed. With the second, he kills Kukulin's horse. Now with the third, he hits Kukulin, and this magical spear, unable to be killed by a normal spear perhaps, mortally wounds him, his entrails spilling out onto the earth. He's running into a field with 
the warriors and the blades and the slashing and the warrior grunting of two or three armies behind him. He finds himself in a field next to a great standing stone. And rather than just rest against this stone or fall against the ground and let these enemies swarm him, he ties himself to the standing stone. The stone that's now known as Clokafar Mor, the stone of the big man. And he continues to fight his enemies, slashing and clawing as other warriors come to stab him at these rock. Maybe they nick him, but he takes off his head and bodies just continue to pile up as he's losing blood, losing blood, losing blood. Lugid knows he's going to die. Maeve knows that he's going to die. And when he finally passes, even then nobody wants to approach. Can you imagine? It is only when a raven, which is the traditional form of the Morrigan, a symbol of death, known as the Phantom Queen in Irish mythology. When this raven lands on Cucullin's shoulder, that's when his enemies believe he is dead. So Lugid approaches him and beheads him, cuts off his head. But as he does so, the hero light within Cucullin, you can think of his natural radiance, the life force within him, pours out of the stump of his neck and his sword falls from his hand and cuts Lugid's hand off. Lugid continues to cut at different parts of Kukulin's body, this light just pouring out from each sort of stump as he slices and the light only disappears after his right hand is cut off. Cullen died in this place known as the Great Carnage, which is where this stone still stands. In a field known as the Field of Slaughter. Even a, a great war did occur at this spot. Whether or not Cullen died is sort of immaterial, because he reminds us of one of these wonderful points in this Celtic Wheel of the Year. The thing that John Matthews, his Celtic historian, speaks about is that Cullen reminds us that at this central point, within the circumference of the circle, we all have an ability to draw upon power from the earth, power in the form of a connection to earth. As Cullen's body is failing him, he finds a rock, he finds a massive stone, a stone that still sits in County Louth, Clokofar Moor, it's called, near Dublin, that's three meters tall, ten feet high, and three meters wide, three feet wide. Massive, massive, massive stone. This stone, which John Matthews says, represents the central backbone of creation, and he draws strength and support from it. So when we are supported 
by this central pole which descends from the heavens and comes up from the ground, we can look outward in any direction and place any aspect that we want on them. We can look at our neighbor and recognize that the distrust that we feel in them is a distrust that we feel from ourselves. And if we can address the distrust that we feel for ourselves, the sense of unworthiness within us, then our neighbor doesn't become a problem. He becomes an extension of our inner compassion. It sounds very hoity-toity, but these are the lessons that come in the place outside of time. The center of this circle represents, the circle again represents the movement of normal time, the calendar, right? The sphere of the, the wheel of the year. Yet if we can find mechanisms to sit and ground ourselves on our own sort of inner big stone, our inner support, then we can begin to cultivate a sense of knowing and a sense of peace in the here and now that allows us to manipulate our perspective of the outside world based around this inner quality. Without such ritual fixing of a center, there can be no circumference. And with neither center nor circumference, where does a person stand? That comes from Joseph Epps Brown in The Roots of Renewal. And it echoes this sense, again, that many of us neglect that inner working. I know I certainly was when I walked into that meditation center. All of the qualities and aspects of life that make life worth living were put aside for the sake of tasks and relationships and all of the tedium of what was happening in the circumference which was governing my life. And by just taking a moment to go outside of my normal circumstances and experience, to try something new, to challenge myself, I stepped into a place of pure magic. It's the only way I can describe it. Time without time pure magic. I didn't realize then, but I see now that my interest and my the sense of imperative I have to share this inner quality of magic and continue to find it within myself, as I hope that you continue to find it within yourself through this podcast, was so essential. It wouldn't have happened if I stayed within the habits, the normal current of my day-to-day -day life. It wouldn't have happened. Maybe it would have happened later in my life, but maybe 20 or 30, 30 years later. The longer that we neglect this inner quality, this inner world, the more that the outer world becomes a place in which we struggle a place in which we feel scared. 
many people who go through difficult times, lose loved ones, become ill, go through a healing journey, lose a limb, lose their ability to speak, they all speak of this quality that they return to center. They return to a place, even for glimpses that give them a perspective on their life that they wish they had for, you know, periods much longer. We don't all have to wait for difficulty, for struggle, for the circumference of our lives to rip and tear. We don't have to wait for those moments. We can find them every day. And I'm tasking you, I'm asking you. Tasking is just asking with a T. Are you giving yourself a chance to find these inner moments? Are you giving yourself chances to find magic within your life? I can't tell you where they come from. I don't even know where they come from. I know where they come from me. Maybe. The best ones are the ones that surprise me. They come from sources I don't expect. They're things that you don't really look for as much as they find you, but you still have to be within the mindset of openness to receive them. If I had taken into that Shambhalan meditation center the same apprehension and doubt that I was feeling within my college studies at the time, I wouldn't have walked in the door. I needed to take in and surrender to another quality of being. Until next Sunday, I hope you can find time to go outside of your normal routine. Maybe reconnect with somebody that you haven't spoken to in a while. Go to a place in nature that you've never been. Take a new walk or a new route. It feels to me that I maybe have gotten a little bit rambly here, that maybe these links between Kukulun, the wheel of the year, finding your inner purpose, your inner strength, your inner meaning, and how that brings harmony to your outside world, Maybe, I, maybe I'm not quite articulating the story to put it all together. And if I have, then sure enough. But for my own sense of comfort, I'm going to leave you with the words of somebody else. Somebody much wiser than me, that's for sure. I'm going back to a familiar book that I continue to revisit. The book Anamkara, which means soul friend in Irish, by the late Irish poet John O'Donoghue. He's writing in this section about friendship, but of course it's an inner friendship as much as an external friendship, friendship with the soul. He says, Often people devote their primary attention to the facts of their lives, to their situation, to their work, to their status. Most of their energy goes into doing Meister Eckhart writes beautifully about this temptation. He says many people wonder where they should be and what they should do, when in fact they should be more concerned about how to be.
the love side of your life is the place of greatest tenderness within you. In a culture preoccupied with fixities and definites, and correspondingly impatient of mystery, it is difficult to step out from the transparency of false light into the more candlelight world of the soul. Perhaps the light of the soul is like Rembrandt light, that tawny gold light from which Rembrandt's work is known. This light gives you such a real sense of the depth and substance of the figures on whom it gently shines. It achieves a profound complexity of presence through the subtle use of shadow. Such a golden earth light is the natural sister of shadow and the cradle of illumination. So I'll leave you with that. And I will pick you up next week, next Sunday. Same time, same place. I thank you all so much for listening. I can't believe this is episode 10. There's so many things that are coming with this podcast that I can't even tell you about right now, but I'm very excited about them. All the possibilities of this tiny thing are starting to crystallize, and each day, each week, each episode is like a chisel trying to shape this big block into a finer shape. You can write to me, contact me using the contact details below and help me continue to craft this thing, whatever it is. Thank you all so, so much. And until next Sunday, I wish you peace and presence as always. Talk to you soon. Goodbye for now.